Grimes and Elon Musk declare themselves semi-separated. The internet has a hate boner over Chris Pratt's new casting. And why has the tragic Gabby Petito case gone viral? We're Maggie and Jasmine, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people are the traditional custodians of this land we are on today. We would like to pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. We would also like to celebrate their rich history of culture and storytelling that we can all learn from. Always was always will be Aboriginal land. Jasmine, congratulations. On <laughs> <You> said- <laughs> what? I'm scared. Are you going to cry already? Uh, no, for surviving Melbourne on the week of the 20th of September, a traumatic week for all of us. What the hell? There were some rocky moments in the middle of the week where I was like, are we going to make it to record on Sunday? <laughs> Is this it? <laughs> God. Okay. Where were you when the earthquake hit? Oh, actually, context. Not everyone lives in Melbourne. For those of you who don't know, um, on Wednesday the 22nd, Melbourne experienced a 5.8 magnitude. 5.9. Fake news. 5.9 magnitude earthquake. Thankfully, no one was injured. No one was hurt. Betty's Burgers building uh, collapsed and there were some broken picture frames. But apart from that, we got off pretty lightly. Yes. So I was at my desk that day in the living room and I thought it was a washing machine going awry, but it was not. Um, And I think my response was pretty good, right? So number one, I pick up my coffee cup because I didn't want that to spill. And then um, my little sister's bedroom is off the living room. And I was like, Katie, Katie, like checking up on her. So I'll be um, cast as the hero in the film of (laughs) Melbourne. Um, So yeah, I just checked up on her. She was fine. And then I had this panic because I was like oh my god you're supposed to stand in the door frames or you're really not supposed to stand in the door frames and I kind of forgot which one was the correct answer so <laughs> while you're like, like holding your coffee in the middle of the room <laughs> that was me what about you mine is so random so um I was doing a take Instagram takeover for rack bikinis I'd just gone across the road and gotten my keep cup filled with coffee and I was like doing the takeover so I was like typing on Instagram and walking and I just thought I don't want to type and walk so I sat down on these little steps across the road from my house and across the road from my house is a filming studio and so I was sitting there and then all of a sudden six panes of glass behind me start shaking and rattling and I was like oh that came on really suddenly because it's been so windy in Melbourne right and my Mm. street gets really windy I was like, that wind came out of nowhere because they're like behind me. And I was like, funny if it was an earthquake and they fell on me (laughs) and then it stopped all of a sudden. And because I was outside, there were no frames or like, you Mm. know, bookshelves like shaking. It was just like the earth. I also thought I was dizzy from like drinking coffee, you know, when you have like caffeine jitters. Um, But then a car alarm went off at the same time as the doors were shaking. I was like, that's weird. And I was like, oh, well, I went back to typing on my uh, in, on Instagram and then all of the messages in our friendship group chat started coming through. WTF, yes. was that an earthquake? Oh, my God, is everyone okay? And that's when I think I voice memoed you guys and I was like, I thought it was just the wind. I was sitting next to glass. Like, what an idiot. Like, I'm so lucky that they didn't smash on me. 
yeah that's my earthquake story my goodness that is hectic I loved all the TikToks that came from it um speaking of the glass one did you see the person that was standing against like in their house um a a glass cabinet full of glassware and they were like standing here to make this all about me or whatever yeah waiting for the aftershock I sent that to my family group chat (laughs) of course sitting next to the glass but yeah I called my mom because they're in Queensland and she's like oh hi darling how are you I was like, oh, yeah, just another day in Melbourne. And she was like, oh, yeah, like thinking I was complaining about lockdown and stuff. She's like, oh, yeah, it's awful. And I was like, we just had an earthquake. And she was like, what? She thought I was joking. And I was like, no, just what else could happen? But then something else did happen. I am probably giving away security here, but who gives a crap about where I live? I live about 500 meters from the Shrine of Remembrance in South Side mm. Melbourne. And that was the location of the third official day of anti lockdown, anti vax mandate protests. So that was crazy as well. No, this has seriously been a very scary week um, for overseas listeners. The Shrine of Remembrance protests were kind of um, compared to like the riots of the Capitol. Like that was kind of the energy it was serving. And it's been such a hectic week that I've kind of switched off from it all. Like when Jazz was like, oh yeah, what a, before we jumped on record, she was like, what a crazy week we've had. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I forgot about all this. So yeah, it's been such a headspin. But it's hard to forget about it when you have a literal riot tank going down your street. It was insane. Like the so all the police were at the shrine and then for four hours there was like a standoff between them and finally the police moved them on with I think tear gas and stuff and they were literally wow. running down my street. Not so much. It was mostly the second one. Um, and then, yeah, this full-on like riot tank with – probably like eight police officers in full black riot gear just like casually down my like city street. It was so weird. I felt like I was in an alternate reality or something. That's so scary. So I spent the long weekend just like chilling out, which I hope everyone else in Melbourne has done. Yeah, I hope everyone had a nice relaxing weekend. And if you're listening to this on Tuesday, have a relaxing week ahead. Hopefully no natural disasters hit you. In pop culture news, the internet's strangest couple, billionaire Elon Musk and musician Grimes, have split up after three years together. But according to Elon, they've only semi-separated, which is giving me the new conscious uncoupling that we had a few years ago from Chris Munn and Gwyneth Paltrow. Elon told page six, quote, we are semi-separated but still love each other, see each other frequently and are on good terms. It's mostly that my work at SpaceX and Tesla requires me to be primarily in Texas or traveling overseas and her work is primarily in LA. She's staying with me now and baby X in the adjacent room. Baby X or XAE12, whatever, is Elon's (laughs) seventh child. Did you know that? No, that's so many. Yes, seven kids, which is crazy. And the former couple were only spotted two weeks ago at the Met Gala, but which is funny because that is where they first made their like appearance as an official couple a few years ago. But this year they weren't spotted on the red carpet together just Grimes and they, you know, were together inside. But the internet's reaction, as always, has been amazing. 
my personal favorite was Good Morning, Grimes Dating Elon Musk was a three-year sociological study conducted by Harvard University. We are now complete with our study. Thank you for your time. <laughs> I saw another one that was like, and so the world's most ambitious, I can fix him, comes to an end. What so a funny good. time in our pop culture landscape to have this relationship. But happen. I'm also so grateful that now we, well, they might have more crazy news together, but I feel like every second or third episode, somehow <laughs> we talk about them, even though we're not that invested in either of them. They're just such an odd pairing, especially given Grimes's anti-capitalist stance and whole ideology, um, what she's like based her brand on, and then dating literally a billionaire and like only a few weeks ago we were talking about her trying to defend him on TikTok and stuff so yeah people are kind of welcoming her back with open arms but I'm like I remember what you did on Twitter (laughs) on TikTok not long ago so I'm still a little bit suspicious but um it was also very cute as a kind of sidebar her conversation with Emma Chamberlain at the Met Carla did you see that no I didn't what was it about Yeah, it was kind of random. Emma Chamberlain said the person she was most excited to see was Grimes, which was kind of a curveball to me. Um, But it was just a very cute and wholesome conversation. Grimes feels 23 years old. How old is she again? Like 33. It was cute. It was a cute time. Um, Did you also see the Vogue? (laughs) The Vogue chat Grimes did, um, like the get ready with me for the Met Gala thing. And she was saying how baby X doesn't call her (laughs) mum. She was like, (sighs) he just calls me Claire. Oh, my God. I can't believe her name's Claire. Mm. That's just so weird to me. (laughs) Yeah, like she wasn't born Grimes. But can't wait to see what her future holds, I guess, post Elon Musk. I wonder if Elon will actually have more children after this. Why stop at seven? (laughs) So true. And to end, we're going to play one of our favorite TikToks that came out of this news this week. Enjoy. So Grimes and Elon Musk broke up. Are any of us surprised? Absolutely not. I've always said Elon Musk has the face of a man who needs his partner to drown a bag of kittens in order for him to come. But the real tragedy is that little baby suggested passwords going to have to spend half their holidays in space and the other half of their holidays in whatever glowing egg Grimes lives in. What is The cast for Super Mario Bros. animated film has been released and it seems funnily enough that the whole internet has come together just to troll Chris Pratt for being cast as Mario. The film has been in development since 2017 and is set to be released in cinemas in December 2022. And apart from Chris Pratt, the other lineup includes comedian Charlie Day as Luigi, Anya Taylor-Joy as Princess Peach, which in my opinion is perfect casting, Keegan-Michael Key as Toad, Jack Black as Bowser, and Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. Yeah, so why do you think people are especially peeved about Chris Pratt? Like how did you feel when you heard this news? I thought it was a joke because I saw it on Twitter. You know how people just make stuff up on Twitter? But I think it's warranted. Everyone's over Chris Pratt and I think especially like his connection to like Hillsong and all that stuff. I don't know. I feel like there's so many other main characters that could have been cast in this and like, yeah, other so many other actors like why Chris Pratt? I don't know. What about you? 
to be honest, I didn't think too much about it. I was like, lol, and then scroll, um, scroll past. Yeah. But I feel like that's my reaction to most things nowadays. I'm kind of just <laughs> emotionless um, <laughs> about most of this. That's really bad, isn't it? Um, but that's, yeah, that's honestly how I felt. I found it kind of funny watching the Instagram video he posted of himself. Um, it's really quite strange and a lot of the comments pointed out that he looked and sounded high as well. Let's play some of it now. So when I was a kid, I lived in Lake Stevens, Washington, and there was this coin-operated laundromat near my house. And it had Super Mario Brothers, the original arcade game. Oh, I love that game. I never had a quarter, it felt like. I'd either steal them from the wishing well. <laughs> you know, I'd steal, that's wild. Just dawned on me right now, the quarter I stole out of the wishing well to play Super Mario Brothers has come true that I get to be the voice of Mario. But I clearly stole someone else's wish. So just waiting for that, that row of karma dominoes to come crashing down on me but as it is right now it's a me a mario that's not the voice you'll have to wait to hear the voice but we've been working hard at it and and i'm really excited to announce that i'm going to be the voice of that video game that i dreamed about playing as a kid dreams come true yeah it's not very official it's like <laughs> it's <not. laughs> what press release know. is this yeah Publication Kotaku shared an article called The Internet's Hate Boner for Chris Pratt as Mario in Nintendo's Movie Explained. And they pointed to a few reasons for the collective disdain that is aimed at him. One was that he's overexposed and inescapable. We saw him early on in Parks and Recreation, which seems to be one of those shows that like is timeless, so people are always watching it. And then you've got Lego Movie and, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy and more. Secondly, as you mentioned before, um, I think people are critical of his wish, wish-washy kind of apolitical views. Um, so as you mentioned, he is a member of a church called Zoe Church, which is associated with Hillsong. And people have pointed out in the past that Hillsong has been accused of engaging in gay conversion therapy um, and that its pastor has said that the church doesn't condone a, quote, gay lifestyle. Um, just to add on to that as well, last year he was um, absent from an Avengers cast-led fundraiser for the Democratic candidates Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Yeah, so those are two reasons that have come about. Another one, which isn't, um, I guess, Chris Pratt specific, is that all the cast members are notably not Italian, which has spawned some criticism, but mainly memes on the internet about it. Um, but it's kind of interesting to know that Mario's original voice actor is also not Italian and the creative Mario is Japanese. But I, when I think of Mario, I don't think of Italian culture. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Apart from their name, Mario and Luigi, like, I don't know, they're not running around Rome in the Vatican. Yeah, know. and I think most people are just concerned or curious about whether they're going to be putting on Italian accents for okay. this. I think that's the main thing there. Is there a problem with putting on accents? Actors do it all the time. Yeah, I don't I don't personally know, and I'm not Italian, so I can't. <laughs> I am actually this. Italian. Are you actually? Yeah, well. Okay. A few generations <laughs> removed, obviously. Um, 
But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with is there's nothing wrong with doing accents in my opinion if you're an actor oh, I what about like Florence Pugh doing like an American accent or like the Russian accent in oh, Black Widow yeah gosh gotcha I feel like this is because it's like super stereotyped and be like uh, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm gonna, stop gonna just stop myself there um, but it just feels um, kind of like satire or like you're you're making like a caricature of like a whole culture, right, which is where most um, of like the problematic accents come from. For instance, if someone's putting on like a like a Chinese accent in front of me, I'm like, that's that's probably not cool. Hey, um, but again, I have I, mean, I was actually trying to find articles or like tweets from Italians who were kind of peeved off about this. But I actually really couldn't. There were just a lot of memes. So I I don't know. Yeah. And I think there's bigger fish to fry. But will you be watching Mario? Yeah, Brothers? I mean, probably. It's coming out in a year. So I'm not waiting here. I'm not going to be like sitting at the edge of my seat just counting down the days. But why not? Anyway, but just back to the Chris Pratt thing, I actually don't think people are that pissed off about the aforementioned, like, oh, he's in every film and, oh, his political beliefs. I just think some people, including myself, just love to hate some celebrities or kind of just, I think some people just like to make them the punching bag of like and like the butt end of a joke yeah so I think it's kind of what we see with let's say James Corden um how what do you think about him I've heard the rumors the recent rumors that he's not a nice person which is giving me Ellen DeGeneres vibes but I've also watched him for like over 10 years like when he was on Gavin and Stacey in the UK and before he got really big in America and I don't really have a problem with him, to be honest. I don't really understand the hate that much. I get that he's everywhere, but I'm also like, I don't know. Is he really that bad? Well, that's the thing because I was in the band camp of being like, oh, my God, he's so annoying. Um, you know, there's tweets that go around constantly along the lines of, you know, James Corden must have some real dirt on some powerful people in Hollywood to keep getting cast in every goddamn movie. So much so that because there's a wicked adaptation on the way um, and also nothing about the cast has been announced, people are already guessing that James Corden will be in it. And I literally saw there's already a petition barring him from it. Like people are trying to get him um, not in the film when there's been nothing said about the cast, right? That's so mean. Imagine if that was you. <laughs> it's got less than 100 signatures. So, okay. like, it's not going anywhere. But it's very interesting to see. And I think sometimes we do have to, like, reevaluate why we hate someone yeah. so much. That's so, what yeah. I think. If someone gives me a valid list of reasons, I am the first person to try to, like, stop consuming content or, like, not stop listening to people's music if they have done something that is like very offensive or harmful mm. to like a community. Um, but with James Corden, I'm like, wait, if someone sits me down and tells me, okay, he's on this, he's on that, I'll get it. But at the moment I just don't get it. I don't know if people want to jump in the culture club DMS and like explain if they hate James Corden, why I'm not his biggest fan at all, but I'm just kind of like meh about him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I sometimes think that in this pop culture sphere, we kind of, we kind of inflate like annoyance with actual problematic behavior. Mm. 
and we kind of just paint everyone with the same stroke um, regardless of what they've done sometimes which I think can be so dangerous so exactly. yeah thanks for opening my eyes oh. Miss James Corden Stan oh no <laughs> it's on the record now Before we start this next segment, we'd like to put a content warning here for gendered violence and domestic abuse. You've probably heard her name over the last few weeks, but today we're going to be talking about the Gabby Petito case. The 22-year-old micro-influencer Gabby was traveling across the US with her fiancé, Brian Laundrie, in a van. They were documenting their van life travels together and seemed like they were young and in love on the trip of a lifetime. A few days after Gabby's mum received a text message, supposedly from Gabby, about a lack of service in Yosemite, her fiancé, Brian, returned home to Florida in the van without Gabby. He then refused to speak about where she was. But as her parents reported her missing, police body cam footage was released. The footage from August 12 shows the couple were pulled over in their van after reports of a domestic dispute were given to the police. The caller claimed that they witnessed Brian allegedly slapping Gabby and chasing her up and down the sidewalk. The footage of the couple being questioned by the police is really confronting to watch. You see Gabby in tears and emotional while Brian seems calm, giving the impression of the crazed, hysterical women. But both of them insist that they don't want the other charge, so the police let them go. The last time Gabby was seen was checking out of a hotel on the 25th of August, and that was also the last time she posted to her Instagram account. Between the 27th and 30th of August, authorities released the location they believe Gabby went missing in and the Denver FBI actually asked the public for help via Twitter. It was on August 29th that a woman named Miranda Baker claimed in a TikTok post that she and her boyfriend gave Brian a ride in a national park. They claimed that Brian had been, quote, camping alone for days while Gabby worked on social media posts back at the van, end quote. When Miranda said they were heading to Jackson, Brian got out and said he was thankful and was kind of in a hurry. So he said he was going to go across the street into the parking lot and find someone else to give him a ride. But, quote, when we look back 10 or 15 seconds after he got out of the vehicle, he was gone. As all of this news was coming out, this girl has been reported missing and people on TikTok are beginning to talk. The internet and TikTok itself start going nuts trying to find Gabby. A statement released by the Petito family's attorney read, They are frantically searching for answers and information in their daughter's disappearance while Brian sits in the comfort of his home. And then on September 14th, Brian and his family release a statement saying Brian will remain silent on the advice of his counsel. And so the next day... Not surprisingly, he is named a person of interest and this is two weeks after he's returned home to Florida. And on the 17th of September, Brian is reported missing by his family. They say they haven't seen him for days. When they last saw him, he had a backpack and told them he was going to Carlton Reserve near their home in Florida. On the 18th, more than 50 police officers and FBI agents start searching for Brian. And sadly, on the 19th, Gabby's body is found in a national park 
A few days later, her cause of death is named a homicide. At the time of recording, Brian is still missing. Now we've had a rundown of this tragic case. Why did the internet become fascinated with this story in particular? What do you think? So we know that true crime podcasts and documentaries are gaining a lot of popularity, but I think having a case play out in real time, like this was over the span of about a month, especially in front of like TikTok amateur sleuths is very new territory. I don't think we've really seen something take this much of a hold like it has on the internet um, with a case like this before. Yeah, and I think so many people are so into true crime and I think this is a very morbid embodiment of our obsession our fascination and like the Netflix machine that pumps out the true crime documentaries and the podcasts and everything it kind of usually these stories would have happened like years before and then we make content about them but because the content machine is so fast it's like instant like I saw a 60 minute segment about her like the day her body was found and well I saw an ad for it and yeah the fact that TikTok is so fast and I even was following this woman in America she's an influencer and she was posting about it on her story as if she was like the FBI and she was doing polls on it where do you think she's gone and like posting maps of the like the area the national park and stuff and I had only seen a few news articles on it and I was like oh my god imagine this is just one girl imagine like so many thousands of other people trying to crack the crime but in saying that apparently because of the TikTok sleuthing um that is a big reason why Gabby's body was found when it was Mm. so there's pros and cons for sure for sure Yeah, and because this is happening now, I think people almost forget that these are real people that we are talking about. So we are both watching the TV show Only Murders in the Building and you pulled out like a great quote from it um, that was in like a recent episode and it was, every true crime story is true for somebody. And I think almost like that that apathetic view of this like, oh, mystery drama um, Mm. case kind of takes out I guess, like the human aspect of it. And I find that really icky to witness. I agree. I agree in terms of like, it's kind of ironic though, because now and hypocritical, I guess, because we're discussing her. Like we are talking about her and like dissecting this case. But I agree that the way she has been treated by the true crime community, in my opinion, is really hard to watch. But then they, I know that like a lot of, people in that community come from a place of like genuine care like they just care about this woman and they want justice served so therefore they put their own like resources into it or whatever but yeah sometimes it's a bit icky to watch as you said but back to the question that you asked about like why this case in particular like why did it grab us all um I know a lot of people point to the fact that she is an influencer that she has a social profile and I think you know, you can scroll through her Instagram photos and like try to piece clues together. Do you think that had something to do with it? Yeah, definitely. Especially because she was documenting her travels with Brian for so long or for the month or two. 
um, posting geotag locations and, um, you know, in the last two pictures I read that it wasn't geotagged and so therefore that's a clue that maybe Brian posted it on her behalf and all this crazy stuff. So I think in the same way that the internet has like sped up this process, it has also given us clues and like in the same way that Taylor Swift fans look for Easter eggs and like now true crime fans are looking at her social media to piece together a case we're always kind of like looking for meaning and looking for ways to solve things um I think it's just fascinating more than anything the way the public has reacted to this yeah on that topic I read an article in Vanity Fair by Delia Kai which is called Gabby Petito online detectives and the queasy places our true crime obsessions have taken us and it reads the internet, so scarily good at its basic premise of harnessing the collective brain power of amateurs and occasionally directing it towards specific tasks. Whether to hashtag save Harambe or decode a Taylor Swift teaser or dox a private citizen became mobilized. Primed by both the 24-7 news cycle, the content economy and the podcast to prestige TV pipeline, our capacity for consuming Gabby Petito's story was only barely outpaced by the case's own sequence of events. Which leads me to another reason I think this has gained so much attention is the quick pace. When we were reading out the timeline, it was like, obviously Brian had stayed at home for two weeks, which is so wrong, but it was like he got home and she was last seen on this date and then um, they make a statement and then the other family makes a statement and then her body's found like within a day and then the next day he's missing, like it's very fast paced. And I think as humans, we do have a very morbid fascination with these kind of cases because it takes on like human psychology. How could a partner do that to someone? Why is he gone missing? Why was he not talking? Like all these questions as humans, we just like – we're always searching for answers, like I said, and this is a way that we can all like use our brains to focus on something and try to answer those mysterious questions. Very true. And it's so sadistic, but it's like, oh, look at this seemingly perfect person and like perfect couple. And then we realize that not not everything is as it seems and we kind of like thirsty for the answers and we almost want like it's not that we want something to be wrong but we are fascinated by that Mm. which again I think plays into the social media thing of like depicting one side um and it seems that she was a victim of domestic violence and domestic abuse but then they were this like engaged in love couple like hashtag van life living the dream um she had under fifteen thousand followers following along and one video on her youtube account which goes for about five minutes and it shows yeah just like a young couple in a post-covid world like traveling in their own way within their own country all of these factors play into it i think Yeah. And then on the flip side of this question, I guess it's the question of, okay, but what about the other missing women who don't get this airtime and don't get this public sympathy? Um, So while we were researching about this, I came across this term, which has been around for almost 20 years, but it is the missing white women syndrome. Have you heard of this before? 
I have. Yes, I heard about it, I think, most recently when Sarah Everard was murdered in London earlier this year, tragically, by a police officer. And when she went missing, she was everywhere. I know so many people were Instagramming, tweeting, everything. And there was that kind of question of like, where is this energy for women of color? Yeah, so I'll read out a bit from a New York Times article about it. The disappearances of people of colour tend not to generate the same volume of media interest, despite their occurring at a higher rate. A report from the University of Wyoming found that 710 Indigenous people were reported missing from 2011 to 2020 in that state, which is where Miss Petito's remains were found. Another thing in an article from The Cut uh, show that researchers also found that local and state media covered only 18% of cases of Indigenous women murdered in the state between 2000 and 2019, but for white homicide victims, that number was 51%. It's very, I think it does just reflect our society, like media reflects our society and you know, we know that people of colour get treated differently to white people. Like, that's just a fact. Um, and I I definitely understand why people are upset about this. It must be really hard having, like, a missing family member and seeing this, like, girl's face everywhere. Um, definitely raises some good questions. Yeah, like another thing that I found so interesting was what Danielle Slackoff, who is an assistant professor at California State University, uh, told New York Times. Um, she said, white women were typically depicted as good people, while women of color were often characterized as risk takers or somehow complicit in their own disappearances. White victims tend to be portrayed as being in very safe environments. So it's shocking that something like this would happen. Whereas the black and Latino victims are portrayed as being in unsafe environments, so basically normalizing victimization. Mm. What do you think about this conversation about the missing white woman syndrome happening as Gabby's body is being found? Yeah, because I think that this is a valid conversation to have now. And I do think people having this conversation aren't saying that Gabby's disappearance or story um, isn't important or tragic because it definitely is. I think people are just saying people are hurt and asking why the same energy and media attention isn't given to a BIPOC woman or a trans woman. Yeah. But I another point that got me thinking with this kind of, well, Black and Indigenous women and women of colour like where's the same energy it's kind of like do we actually want women of color to be treated the way that gabby petito and sarah everard have been treated in terms of they get a flurry of press and articles and media attention twitter posts you you get retweets your tiktoks pop off and then you get a true crime podcast a 60 minute sensational segment and then what like what's changed in london from sarah everard's murder in earlier this year and last week a teacher got murdered in London when she was five minutes from her front door Mm. and like it seems like we like nothing is changing and instead of us kind of fighting amongst each other being like why aren't they getting the same level 
of press, it's like, why aren't we talking about, I guess this is conflating a few arguments in one, but it's like, why are, instead of being like, well, they're not getting enough attention, you could say, why aren't we focusing on men killing us? Yeah. (laughs) You know? But I get, I totally understand, like, the disparity of media attention, but I don't think that media attention in these cases is helping anyone. It it helped Gabby's body to be found, but mm. she's still dead. Like, yeah, I That's know a lot of people point. have been claiming privilege, Gabby's privilege, and it's like she's dead. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's hard. And I know that I'm coming from like a certain place because I'm a white woman. So like I definitely listen to other people's like opinions and concerns and stuff. And I totally get their arguments, but it's like you like what you said. Either way, there are two women missing or there are two women who have been killed, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point about how you're like media attention isn't, I guess, a be all and end all. It's kind of horrific that we kind of make these women into symbols for what we want to believe Mm. or like they they become martyrs and they didn't ask to be um and I think that is kind of that's gross the way that we kind of I guess almost like editorialize their life or our own storyline which is disgusting but I also think that public awareness and media coverage can bring some good as well um in again the New York Times article I'll just quote from a little um a little bit more from it so they say Petito's case went viral due to social media sleuths and the media followed with its wall-to-wall coverage but before her we had seen the same thing play out over and over again desperate loved ones brought a case to the media which remains overwhelmingly white Journalists raised the case's profile, which in turn made the public become deeply invested. This forced law enforcement to prioritise the case and deploy considerable resources, leading to more media coverage. Mm. So it's kind of like a chasing tail situation, mm. which again doesn't it's not it's not the be all and end all just because let's say there are law enforcements involved or whatever, you're right, maybe the victim is dead at the end. And that obviously is too late but yeah I don't know I still think there's something to it yeah and I'm definitely not saying that the missing white woman syndrome doesn't exist like it does for sure but like the fact that this kind of discourse was happening on Twitter like as the case was unfolding I was a bit like I don't know it made me feel a bit icky but I yeah like I said it definitely exists and there's definitely a disparity between attention But, yeah, and, like, we're contributing to it right now, so. We are. (laughs) But, yeah, it's an awful story and we hope that Gabby's killer is brought to justice and that the family gets some closure because having your daughter's disappearance and murder go viral must be absolutely horrific. During this crazy week of news, um, have you been reading, watching, enjoying anything that has been able to distract you at all? 
Yes, um, big into my escapism fantasy reads at the moment. So what I am recommending this week is a novel called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by B.E. Schwab. So this is an American fantasy novel that was just published last year and it was also recommended to me by a friend and then my little sister read it and loved it as well. So it's a story that follows a woman called Addie LaRue. She's a young French woman in 1714 that makes a bargain with the devil that makes her immortal but curses her to be forgotten by everyone she meets. So she's basically, yeah, your eyes widen there. (laughs) It's pretty hectic, pretty hectic. Um, So she's a 300-year-old woman in a 23-year-old's body and the book time travels from various historical periods. So, you know, the 18th to 19th century to modern day 2014 in New York City. Um, I won't say too much else about the plot because I don't want to spoil anything really but my goodness the writing is so beautiful I don't think I've really read a book that's been written like this before and the words are very like visceral and beautiful quite cheesy at times but it's a lovely read and yeah love their turn of phrase and the way that they see the world um I will say, I don't know, my copy was so thick, like a big Harry Potter thickness chunky boy. So some parts of the book did feel a tad repetitive, but now reflecting on it, maybe that was a um, stylistic choice because, you know, she's bloody been alive for 300 years. Um, (laughs) But yeah, also I've had a few people in my DMs um, before I read it and they're like, oh, like loved it, but hated the ending. And I must say I agree. So if anyone else has read it and want to talk about it, I'm here, my DMs are open. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, overall, a lovely escapism, like poetic read. Wow. You're really inspiring me with your fantasy novel picks. I'm not a fantasy reader, but every time I'm like, oh, this sounds so fun. Like it sounds like such an escape rather than reading about Sally Rooney characters. <laughs> yeah, lol. Uh, and this one's got a bit of history intertwined and I know you're a history buff, so maybe you'll like it, but yeah. Ooh, cool. And you, what have you been reading, watching, listening to this week? I totally binged this podcast over the weekend it is called the dropout and it's a podcast by abc but the american abc and it tells the story of elizabeth holmes who once was the youngest self-made billionaire in the world with her groundbreaking medical company theranos so elizabeth back in the early 2000s dropped out of stanford after just like two like after one semester with this technology that was said to be able to test and take your blood sample with just a fingertip prick rather than the traditional needle and vial. But it turns out that after like 15 years in business, it was all a fraud. The technology didn't even work. And she was actually receiving investments from people like Rupert Murdoch and the former US Secretary of State Henry Kissinger and more. So I first heard about Elizabeth when I saw the documentary Bad Blood a couple of years ago, but then this podcast popped up in my Spotify this week and I wanted to take more of an in-depth look because um, she's actually on trial at the moment after like four years. And I listened to season one, which came out in 2019, and then started the last season, which began on the 31st of August. 
and so much has changed. Obviously, COVID, Elizabeth has just had a baby. Like, she could be going to jail for 20 years for fraud, and she's just had a baby boy. He's, like, two months old. And, yeah, this podcast will be covering the trial as well. So I want to put a little bit of the trailer in here because it's very juicy. Her company, Theranos, was poised to change healthcare forever. If she had made this work, she would have been the next Steve Jobs. But today, Elizabeth Holmes is under criminal indictment. She pleaded not guilty, but she's facing up to 20 years in prison if convicted. So how did it happen? It's a story of greed, and it's a story of incredible deception. In The Dropout, we'll look at how Holmes initially won over everybody from investors to politicians to the media. And we'll tell you how it all came crashing down through exclusive interviews and never-before-heard depositions. So yes, this is a similar, it's not true crime, it's like fraud crime. I don't know. I think there's a <laughs> true term for fraud. That. I think it's called red, red collar crime. Yeah, right. So if anyone, yeah, is interested, I would definitely recommend that. Literally binge eight episodes over the weekend. So yeah. So good. Um, I've been wanting to follow this more because it's everywhere, but it's also quite like a long convoluted storyline. So I feel like this podcast will be good at breaking that down. Yes. And you get sucked in and then all you can think about is this, how this woman conned like all these rich men into giving her money to start this company that didn't even work. I think I may have go bust a bit too close to the sun. (laughs) So that's that. We had a very big section in the middle there, but... I don't know. We hope you gain something from it. And please, please jump in our DMs if you have any opinions on this. If you're a true crime fan and you think, you know, the TikTok sleuths have helped Gabby. Or if you also think that, I don't know, there's a line that's been crossed, then let us know. Yeah, we want to hear it all. Um, You'll find us on Instagram at Culture Club Pod. And you'll hear from us again next week. Have a good and safe week, everyone. Bye. Bye.